everyone, Noelle Escobedo, Board Certified Behavior Analyst. Welcome to Free RBT Exam Prep. You guys know how this works. We're gonna go exactly down every single task list item for the six categories of things that you need to know and I wanna help you prepare for your exam. You know how I feel about this, right? Knowledge is power. I want you guys to pass. Resources might be slim and I want you to be hungry for it and go get that credential. Okay guys, my background looks a little bit different today. We are not in my living room. We are in fact in a little corner of my hotel room because I am at the Cal Aba Conference 2019 in Long Beach. You guys, get out to these conferences. You have to hear these amazing presenters give you information on the latest research, okay? Be hungry for it, go get it. No, without further ado, guys, we're gonna jump into some historical information and some foundations of ABA. Are you guys ready for it? If you see me looking this way, it's because I'm referring to my study guide. Connect with me, get that study guide. At a bare minimum, you guys should have that RBT task list right in front of you, and you should be checking off items as we go so you know where you stand with this information, okay? You guys know what the literature says about adult learning. If you're just sitting around passively listening, you're not gonna learn it but you've already taken your modules or maybe you're right in the middle of them. And I want you guys to challenge yourself, okay? If you hear a term that you're not familiar with, pause and re-listen, jot down a note, um, research it further, go back to that module and get the material, guys, okay? If I say something that is familiar, you know exactly what the answer to the question is, you're doing good, so keep it going. First things first, what is ABA, everyone? ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. It is the application of these principles. It's based on the science of human behavior. And we are applying them to what? Socially significant behaviors, to change behavior to a meaningful degree. Okay, guys, I want you to know that definition. You'll hear it pretty similar to that. ABA is the science of applying behavioral principles to socially significant behaviors to change them to a meaningful degree, okay? What the heck are socially significant behaviors? That could be anything, right? Social, language, academic, leisure, daily living, any number of things. So the thing you have to think about is what is going to improve this person, this client's quality of life? And remember, what is useful for one client is completely useless to another client. So you really have to think, what is it for that individual that will improve their quality of life? Next item. We're gonna talk a little bit about dosages and treatment, okay? So just like a doctor uses a prescription of med medicine that must be followed carefully to see optimal progress, okay? Um, clients are prescribed hours of service and interventions that must be applied correctly to see optimal gains. So I want you to think about the service that we provide and the treatment and the hours as a dosage, just like a prescription that the doctor would give. So a doctor measures blood pressure, for example, to determine if the medicine has been effective in reducing that blood pressure. Okay, analogous to that, a behavior analyst or an RBT measures blood, excuse me, behavior by analyzing the data to determine if the interventions that we implemented are effective for decreasing that target behavior or increasing a skill acquisition target. So does that make sense? I really want you to think about this just like a doctor prescribes medicine. We prescribe a dosage of treatment hours that have to be followed. So what if you say, well, hey doc, I'm your patient and I know you told me to take these pills three times a day, but eh, I'm gonna take them once a day. I'm gonna take them 
once a week. And in fact, I'm just going to have half of this pill. I'm not going to have the whole thing. Are you going to see the optimal gains? No, you're not. And the same thing is true if our clients are not receiving the optimal number of service hours or the appropriate types of interventions. They are not going to see the type of progress that they should see. Okay, so keep that in mind. This is a science, guys, and we have to follow accordingly. Next item here about graphic display. Um, the science of ABA relies heavily on graphic display. We want to see that data in a beautiful visual graph that you can open, open that binder, take a look at it, and pretty much know exactly where that client stands. You're going to look at that and see an overall trend. So let's see, this is backwards. So do we see... Um, is that behavior increasing? Is that behavior decreasing? Do we see an up and down kind of variable graph? That means something's wrong. Something's not working. We want to see a very clear control, right, of that behavior. It should, if we're seeing that aggression, that aggression should be decreasing because of our interventions. If we're doing some manned training or they're making a request for items, we should be seeing a steady incline. And if you see some data down here and then suddenly it's skyrocketing, well, what happened right there, right? So we can take a look at this graph and immediately, immediately see patterns of behavior. We can see trends. If we look year after year, you might see, wow, it spikes every year at the beginning and then starts to decline at the end of the year. It can lead you on that investigative hunt to make database decisions. If you see a sudden change, well, what happened with their medications? Was there an event that made them take this sudden turn? Is it a new staff member who's working with them? Okay. And of course that graph should be labeled very clearly. What is your X axis? And we're talking about line graph here. What is that X axis? Is it a unit of time? What is that Y axis, that dependent variable, that dependent measure? What are we tracking here? Is that a number of hits? Is it percentage of intervals that a behavior was occurring? So it should be very clear. You should have titles for each of your axes and a title for your graph. So I should take a look at that graph and know exactly what data you're collecting. Okay. Also, like for my uh, staff, for example, we had them do a quick activity analysis and a quick scatter plot of all this severe behavior that the client was having. And in just a few minutes, we were able to see, wow, all of the behavior is happening from 7 to 8 p.m., okay? So we had the times of day, and then we had um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we put a dot for all the times that we had an instance of behavior. And we saw that all the behavior was happening from 7 to 8 p.m. It was never happening in the morning. So what's going on in the morning that the behavior doesn't happen? What are the conditions where it happens? What are the conditions where it doesn't happen? Okay, so we found it's always happening from 7 to 8 p.m. Well, what's going on at that time? Well, it's after dinner. There's a, there's a staff change there. There's not much going on. It's unstructured time. This client is doing a whole lot of waiting. He may or may not be bored, right? And I know that's a mentalistic term, but I feel like it's very important to combine these worlds and make sense to even a lay person. So all we did is we started providing some enriched um, sensory activities and some stimulating activities in that time, and we immediately saw a reduction in that behavior. So graphic display is important. Next thing, guys, we're going to talk about something very, very important. Seven principles of ABA founded by Bear, Wolf, and Risley in 1968. I don't know that they're going to ask you for the year that that was authored, but I do want you to remember seven principles of ABA founded by Bear, Wolf, and Risley. Those names are important. I've had colleagues of mine remember by grizzly bear because it's bear wolf and risley 
Grizzly Risley. Okay. So you, you want to think of adult learning, right? As I, as I mentioned that if you're just listening, passive learning is not gonna help you guys. You wanna challenge yourself and use little tricks and tips for memorization, such as mnemonics or acronyms or some type of visual imagery to help you remember something like this. So some people say bat cage, B-A-T-C-A-G-E. Did I say that right? B-A-T-C-A-G-E for bat cage, the seven principles of ABA. Okay, and I'm gonna tell you what each one of those things stand for. So the B stands for behavioral, and that means we're dealing with measurable behavior here, guys. Okay, it has to be an actual behavior. The A in bat cage stands for applied, and remember there are two A's in bat cage, okay? Applied and analytic, but we're gonna to get to that in a minute. So B is behavioral, A is applied. And that means that behaviors are, we're using that, um, the science of human behavior for applied, applying it to our lives, right? Our clients' lives. And the behaviors are of social importance. That's what applied means, okay? That's B and A. Now we're getting to the T, which is technological. That means that our interventions are described well enough so that they can be implemented by anybody. All right, that's technological. It's a little bit of a funny word, but I want you to remember that one. Um, the C in that cage stands for conceptually systematic, and that means concepts must be systematic, okay? They have to have a theoretical base and must be based on the basic principles of behavior. So it's not a set of packages or tricks. They are conceptually what? Systematic, okay? Conceptually systematic, that's the C. So we have B, behavioral, A, applied, T, technological, C, conceptually systematic, the next A is analytic, and that means it requires an objective demonstration that the procedures are cause and effect. So there's experimental control. We're analyzing that data, right? And then G, generality. It works in new environments. It works with new people. It lasts over time. And the last letter there in BAP cage is E, and that's effective. What does that mean? It works. It produces strong effects. So guys, one thing about adult learning and just some little tricks of memorization, if it's something obvious, you don't need to spend a lot of time on it because when you're taking your exam and you see those multiple choice options, you're going to remember, okay? So spend time on the harder concepts. All right, so that was Bat Cage, The Seven Principles of ABA, founded by who? Tell me the three authors, Bear, Wolf, and Risley in 1968. Nice job, everyone. Now we're moving on to the six attitudes of science. So how do we approach our science? What are, what's the attitude that we have when we're taking a look at this stuff in ABA? And here are six attitudes that we have towards our science. All right, so um, with these six attitudes, you can think of some cute little mnemonic or acronym. The first letters of these six items are D, E, E, R, and then two P's, P, P. And you can put that together to spell Dear P, P. I learned that from past the big ABA exam. It's a really silly and funny, cute little way to remember these six attitudes of science. But think of your own, something that works for you, okay? So the D in D or PP stands for determinism. And what that means is that everything is orderly, okay? Behavior does not come out of the blue. It's all caused by an event. So if someone says, we have no idea what happened, it happened out of nowhere, we're gonna take a deterministic approach and we're gonna say, nah, I think not. Behavior is orderly and it does not come out of the blue in general. That's a D for determinism. The next one is E, there are two E's side by side, that's experimental and empiricism. 
So experimental means manipulation of the independent variable to produce changes in the dependent variable. Okay, so the dependent variable, by the way, guys, if you remember, is that y-axis, that vertical axis. Um, so let's see here. If we're talking about a line graph, the x-axis is usually a unit of time. It could be days of the week. It could be months of the year. And that y-axis is going to be the dependent variable. So we're um, taking an independent variable, our interventions, to produce an effect on the dependent variable, that y-axis. And that is, what are we measuring here? What do we want to change? It could be the number of hits, for example. Okay, it could be the number of requests that this individual is making, the number of initiations, and that is the dependent variable on the y-axis. And more on experimental, again, we're talking about the E in dear PP. We're talking about the six attitudes of science. And we're talking about experimental. And again, that's a manipulation of the independent variable to produce changes in the dependent variable. And what axis is that on? That's on the y-axis. Nice job, guys. So once a functional relationship is observed, the researcher can further kind of identify and analyze that relationship between those two variables. We talked about D, determinism. We talked about E, experimental. Now we're going to talk about empiricism. It's exactly what it sounds like. Empiricism, empirical, right? We're observing through an objective manner, not emotions, not beliefs, an objective manner, empiricism. The R stands for replication. We want to have repeated experimentation. Okay, guys, that's an obvious one. The last two P's are parsimony and philosophical doubt. I love the word parsimony, and it means ruling out simple answers before looking into more complicated ones. So if someone has this big elaborate idea of why this behavior is occurring, we're going to say, eh, we're going to go with parsimony on this one and probably rule out some simple answers before we look into more complicated ones. Does that make sense? It's a cool word. It's a good one. And the last one there, folks, is philosophical doubt. That's that last P in dear PP. And that means it, it basically just encourages us as scientists to always, to constantly question and doubt so we can be open to learning. All right? So, um, six attitudes of science. What's the, cute, what's the little acronym? D-E-E-R-P-P. Dear PP. And tell me, pause here, and tell me what that stands for. Let's see if you can do it, guys. Challenge yourself. Pause here. What is the D? Determinism. What is the E? Experimental. The E? Empiricism. The R? Replication. And then the last two Ps? Parsimony and philosophical doubt. You got it. Now try to pause and see if you could remember what each one of those things stands for. You can do it. Come on, guys. Okay, so those, that was the six attitudes of science. We're moving on to three principles of behavior. Reinforcement, extinction, and punishment. Easy peasy, guys. So what is reinforcement? Following a behavior, a stimulus um, is provided or taken away that increases the future frequency of behavior. All you need to know about reinforcement is that it increases future frequency of behavior, okay? Opposite to that is punishment, and that's following the behavior a stimulus is provided or taken away that decreases the future frequency of behavior. So simple enough, reinforcement increases the future frequency, punishment decreases the future frequency. Remember that guys, okay? And then extinction. Extinction is a process where a previously reinforced behavior, well, that reinforcement is now removed and what you're gonna see is that behavior is gonna go through an extinction burst and then it's going to decrease and become eliminated. So again, extinction, 
is not an event, it's a procedure or a process. It happens over time. Where a behavior that was previously reinforced, usually an, an undesirable behavior, is previously reinforced, and then we stop reinforcing it, okay? And then what happens is, again, you see an extinction burst. That behavior might skyrocket before it subsides. I wanna give you a quick example about extinction. And this is a common example, you hear me talk about it often. It's that child who goes into the candy, excuse me, goes into the grocery store with mom. And he wants that candy board, so he's gonna start screaming and tantruming, ah! And then mom, what does mom do? Mom wants him to hush. People are watching, people are looking, and so she quickly gives him the candy bar. But what happens, guys? It increases the future frequency of screaming and crying. It teaches that child the perfect way to get this candy bar is to scream and cry. So mom gives a candy bar, it increases the future frequency of that behavior, and thus that child has been positively reinforced, okay? Um, now, if mom starts consulting with a behavior analyst or an RBT, and that RBT comes in here and says, mom, oh my gosh, no way, we have to stop this. You're giving, you're reinforcing that problem behavior. So what we're gonna do is an extinction procedure. I'm gonna ask you to not reinforce that behavior. Do not give that candy bar, okay? So that's what the RBT would tell mom. And the RBT would also prepare mom. Heads up, mom, when we implement this extinction procedure, you are likely going to see an extinction burst, which means little Johnny is gonna start kicking and screaming worse than he ever has, but not to fear, mom. You will watch it go through that extinction burst and then decrease and be, become eliminated, okay? So that's the extinction procedure. Um, a little note about reinforcement and punishment, guys. Reinforcement just means that it increases the future frequency. Punishment means decreases the future frequency. Remember that. A really silly thing to remember is R-I-B-P-D-B. And I say ribs prefer to be dipped in barbecue. R-I-B-P prefer D dipped B barbecue. And what that stands for is reinforcement increases behavior. R-I-B. Uh, punishment decreases behavior. P-D-B. Okay? Prefer to be dipped in barbecue. Silly, goofy, I love ribs, works for me. Alrighty guys, next thing we're talking about here, important people. That was a little bit of a tongue twister. Important people. Skinner. You guys better know Skinner, okay? If you go to one of these conferences, you can get some really cute Skinner shirts. You could probably order them online. But we're talking about important people. Skinner, the founder of ABA, just really quickly. Again, you should know this stuff. We're talking about operant conditioning. Started with some birds pecking lights to get some food. Um, Pavlov was the classical conditioning and that dealt with an involuntary response. If you remember the whole study about the bells and the dog, do you remember this study? So Pavlov, excuse me, Pavlov would ring a bell and then provide the dogs with food. And he would repeat this. He would ring a bell, provide the dogs with food. He would ring a bell and provide the dogs with food. That's right. And before you know it, he would ring the bell and what would happen? The dogs would start to salivate just based on the bell before even the presentation of food. So what is that saying, guys? He was able to pair a completely neutral stimulus, the bell has nothing to do with anything, with an unconditioned stimulus, which was food, to produce a completely involuntary response, which was the salivating. And that, my friends, is classical conditioning. Okay, last name. So we talked about Skinner, we talked about Pavlov. We're gonna talk about John Watson really quickly. He is the father of modern behaviorism. 
He was an American psychologist. If you recall, he had the Little Albert experiment. A little bit creepy. Check it out. He talked about child rearing and animals and things of that nature. So remember those three names, Skinner, Pavlov, and John Watson. Skinner did the operant conditioning. Pavlov did classical conditioning. And John Watson was the father of modern behaviorism. Okay, folks, let's quickly talk about... Oh, no, we talked about classical conditioning. Just kidding. Okay. Blah, 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 moving forward in my, in my um, study guide here. Don't forget, guys, please get the study guide. Follow along. Be diligent. Um, let's talk about the word stimulus really quickly. It's kind of a funny word, and it essentially is any event or a thing, really, that an organism can detect through its senses. It can be internal like a headache. It can be external like light. It can be an instruction. And the stimulus, there's a couple of things here. The stimulus triggers behavior, okay? So for example, I can drive by, see a donut sign, and that stimulus triggers my behavior to pull into the donut shop and have what kind of donut, guys? What do you think? What kind of a donut eater do I look like? Is it is it a maple? Is it a raised glaze? You're wrong, it's a chocolate old-fashioned, guys. You should know that about me. Okay, and I have an incredible sweet tooth. I have to be honest with you folks. I really do just love I love junk food, it's true. Alrighty, so we're talking about a stimulus. Um, blah, 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 blah. A stimulus can be something that's added, it can be provided, it can be removed, it can be taken away. And that is um, specific to stimulus when we're talking about an SD, a discriminative stimulus. Okay, we've talked about this kind of strange term, I know, but that is something that signals that reinforcement is available. Okay, so that client comes to pair um, my instruction or even my myself, just the sight of Noel, they can start to say, Noel signals that reinforcement is available. Or when Noel gives me an instruction, I know that if I listen to that instruction, she's gonna say, amazing job! And I come, I become an SD because I signal that reinforcement is available, okay? And that of course triggers behavior. And we're talking about antecedents here, right? We're talking about SDs. This is the big A that happens before the behavior. A, B, and C, right? There's the antecedent behavior consequence. So let's say I say, Johnny, go get your shoes, and that's the antecedent or the SD, discriminative stimulus. And the B, the behavior is Johnny runs and gets his shoes. And the C or the consequences, I say, Johnny, you did such a great job getting your shoes, man. Nice work, right? And that is also a reinforcer right? Because I'm praising, it increases the likelihood of future responding, and that is also a stimulus because I'm providing praise. All right, guys, so we talked a little bit about stimulus. Let's see here. Oh, yeah, let's talk about S-delta. So just the way I can be, I can signal that reinforcement is available because I'm an SD, or a sign can be an SD, a person can be an SD. The converse is true. Um, and S-delta signals that reinforcement is not available. No candy bars here when you're crying, okay? So when that child is going into the grocery store and starts kicking and screaming to get that candy bar and mom gives it to him over, continues to give it to him, mom becomes an SD. Mom becomes a discriminative stimulus because she signals that you can get that candy bar with me, okay? Now conversely, if Noelle comes in or you come in, friend, you are the RBT and you come in and you say, uh-uh, we're not doing this, you are going to become an S-delta. You signal that reinforcement is not available here. Cool. Okay, moving on. Two general methods to assess behavior change, direct and indirect measurement. These are super, super simple. Direct measurement, of course, is the preferred way to go. 
this is observation and recording data as it occurs okay observation and recording data as it occurs that's direct measurement this is the most important one to use of course and opposite to that is indirect measurement and that is everything else interviews rating scales questionnaires surveys those types of things okay let's talk about some advantages and disadvantages of course direct measurement is the best way to go and there are some advantages there it's more precise it's more accurate and it allows for moment-to-moment -moment analysis that's my favorite part about direct measurement okay of course the disadvantage is that it's time consuming it requires more attention it can be challenging when you're observing multiple students or multiple people and let's give you some examples of, me of direct measurement techniques event recording frequency count so those are the tallies right duration you're recording how long something lasts interval recording can be partial or whole interval you're breaking a segment of time into intervals you want to see if that behavior um, occurs within the interval or the whole interval we'll talk more about it stay tuned time sample recording those are all direct measurement techniques forgive me guys for the funny light again we're in a hotel room at the calaba conference 2019 so excited to be here indirect measurement coming back to that oh my lighting just got a little weird bear with me folks Let's see if I can brighten this up here. Bam, I did it. Okay, indirect measurement, we're talking about some advantages. So, although it's not the best way to go, of course, is direct measurement, indirect measurement has some advantages. It really, really does. It's feasible, it's easy to use, it can be emailed, okay? And critically, it can give you some preliminary information on antecedents and possible triggers, okay? So your indirect measurement your indirect information can prompt you on what you want to provide direct measurement for does that make sense let's talk disadvantage disadvantages of indirect measurement what can you think about what are some possible disadvantages with conducting interviews rating scales questionnaires things like that any ideas well you're relying on what your memory and there are certainly inaccuracies to be had there, right? It can lead to um, over-reporting or under-reporting, okay? And it can lead to a false hypothesis. So that was indirect and direct measurement, guys. And you know what? That's really all I wanted to share with you on some foundations and basics of ABA. The next thing we're going to talk about is the first category on the task list. That is A, measurement. Let's get into it. Thanks for tuning in.